Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and Holograms, because this is truly outrageous, but it doesn't seem to know much about Texas. To that end, we are here today with the World Hunger Shindig, which is, guys, best title? Best title? Best title. Best title. Best title. Written by Mary Screnis, I think I have this written right. Uh, Mary, the writer of this episode, uh, is a comics writer. She actually uh, wrote for a long time on Howard the Duck and, in fact, uh, concepted and was the model for uh, one of Howard the Duck's longtime companions, a human woman whose name escapes me at the moment. So welcome in this episode to an entire 20 minutes of bad southern slash Texas accents. Terrible. Buckle up. The helicopter pilot in the first scene actually goes, woo-wee! Oh, my God. (laughs) It's worth noting that this episode probably came uh, as a reflection of the urban cowboy fad that was going on in the 80s at the time, where cowboy outfits and line dancing and mechanical bulls were, like, cool things (laughs) that people in cities did. This whole first scene at the barbecue, it's so hyperbolically Texan, but also believably Texan. Like, I've never been to Texas for all I know. This is what it's really like. All I know is I feel like this whole episode would make Hank Hill pretty cross. I tell you what, the holograms have landed in Texas, uh, which may as well be a foreign country with how we're treating it here, because this is because the world hunger shindig kicks off a series of episodes that are all about the holograms get into some kind of wacky accident in an ex- in a quote-unquote exotic locale, like Texas, <laughs> Colorado, <laughs> China. And they've been invited to Texas by, I believe her name is Sally Brand. I don't know, they just yeah. refer to her as Miss Sally for the rest Miss of the Sally episode. Brand. She has a big barbecue where she has announced the eponymous shindig, which is to raise $8 million in a week for the World Hunger Foundation on a bet. Which, as far as philanthropy goes, I that's pretty Texan. And the helicopter lands, and the holograms like immediately jump off the helicopter onto the stage. They didn't. They didn't do setup. They didn't do sound check. They just like immediately started playing. I've noticed <laughs> this in the past couple of episodes. They don't do sound check. They don't. No. They just hop on the stage. We jump almost immediately to a pink fog machine with our first hologram song. We can make a difference. Most notable for having a bunch of, uh, like, stereotypical 80s images of Africa as this, like, Mad Max cracked earth wasteland. Oh my god, right? It's like, there's this bit where they, like, spread seeds and, and produce down to poor Africans and loincloths, and as they spread the seeds, produce grows, and it's like, yeah, funny, funny story about those western farming techniques you're using to make a difference in Africa. They, yeah. <laughs> they don't really pan out. I'd like to think that Kimber, I like, I like to think that what was going through her head when she wrote "We Can Make a Difference" was, I'm going to do this sweet piano thing throughout this whole song. This song is basically going to be about my piano and screw all the other instruments. I'm going to do this like. And I like she gets really excited. She has a big piano piece in this, and I think she wrote it for herself. And I, it's it's worth noting that in this music video and the parts that actually go to the crowd, like all of these Texans are 
I can't tell if it's if they're dubious or if they're sort of frozen in mute horror, but their expressions are just they have no idea what's happening or why. At the end of the song, it, it's one of those it's another one of those songs where like her voice just sort of goes to the highest note possible. And oh, it is not totally possible. You're not Freddie Mercury, Jim. Jem, for once, actually, like, learns a lesson and makes a clever way to explain her switcheroo with, with Jerrica. She, like, creates this whole thing of, like, I'm coming down with a cold. Can I go to my room to rest my voice? And then she changes places with a hologram of Jerrica who drives up a hologram taxi and then switches the holograms as they walk past each other. So she's now Jerrica instead of Jem. And Jem hologram gets in the taxi and drives away. And it's... It's pretty clever, honestly. Why weren't they doing any of that before? Right! Yeah. Then we meet, like, our two guys for this episode, which is Rio in this ridiculous cowboy outfit. And, you're and gonna hear Sean the- Harrison. Sean Harrison, the teen idol. And I can't tell if he is an idol to teens or if he is an idol who is a teen because he looks like he's 32. And they say he's British, but I swear that's like a that's like a New Zealand accent. Also the name Sean Harrison is so obviously like a Beatles reference. Yeah. <laughs> I was like let's let's mash all the Beatles names together and pull out this. I mean it's not it's not totally without precedent, right? I mean they all of the all of the holograms names are like musical references, especially in the surnames. Sean is like one of our principal camera boy friends, and he's introduced right after this three episode saga between her and Nick, uh, Jeff. Jeff. Jeff the stunt guy. Sean is considered boyfriend prime because he and Kimber actually have like banter as opposed to like Jeff's sort of passive aggressive shouts at her about how she's dumb and wasting (laughs) time with other people. But before they can really get anywhere. This episode is saved, you guys, because the misfits are here. They roll up in, like, this Cadillac with horns on the car hood because it's Texas. The car comes around the corner at top speed, and Eric's like, Pizzazz, will you cool it? And it turns out he's been crammed into, like, the back seat. He's got a cowboy hat. He's got a bolo tie. He's got cowboy boots. He is all dressed up for this. And you kind of get the feeling that Pizzazz probably shoved him into all of these things. Eric, get in the car. Get in the car, Eric. Eric, Eric. I'll take the cap. No, Eric, you get in the car. No, you can't go to the bathroom. You should have thought of that before we left. And these guys, <laughs> these guys ha- haven't actually been invited to participate in this world hunger shindig, but Eric Raymond kind of like begs their way in. But they can't be on the live album. Yeah, Eric, Eric is the promoter for this shindig. And, uh, and we find out that Sean and Pizzazz seem to actually know each other. It's weird. I think this is kind of the one time that there's any kind of hint that the that any of the characters have lived any sort of life before meeting the holograms. So like the uh, the holograms try to warn off uh, Miss Sally about the about the misfits, and she's like, you know, whatever. I know Eric Raymond's like not a good guy. I I don't really care. She's like, I know the guy's a weasel. It's like, why did you hire him then? It's a great question. I mean, there's got to be other promoters, right? There have to be better promoters. Like, Eric Raymond isn't even good at his job. He's really bad at his job. And the the Misfits know this because they accost him at the hotel room about how they're even doing this gig for free and they're not even on the live album. What's up with that? And Eric's like, he's like a guilt-tripping mom. He's like, well, I'm not getting anything for this. Just connections and publicity for you. 
Well, he's going through like this struggling to take off his cowboy boots thing. <laughs> and then the best thing happens. There's three bedrooms and the misfits go to each of the three bedrooms individually. One of those, Eric Raymond shouts out, is supposed to be for him. And they're like, whatever. And they throw out some, like, sheets and towels at him. I think they throw him, like, some blankets and a pillow so he can sleep on the couch, which is, like, oddly considerate. Right? (laughs) Did those all come from Stormer's room? Stormer's like, well, if we're going to make him sleep on the couch. And after they go to bed, actually, it turns out Zipper's here, too. Only Zipper's hair isn't orange anymore. Yeah, it's black, and he is ditched to the jacket with his name on it. Speaking of different colored hair, did you guys notice that Kimber's hair flickers to bright pink at two points in this episode? Oh, yeah. She keeps, like, not being gem. Like, a <laughs> bunch of times. It's great. It's weird. It's like if and nobody else's hair flickers like that in these first, like, in these first 15 episodes. Except Kimber's. I mean, gems doesn't even flicker to any other color. They just sort of forget which one is Kimber and which one is Jim. Anyway, Eric does the typical thing with Zipper. He's like, I want you to get rid of Jim and the holograms, which isn't that basically a standing order with Zipper at this point? It's like in Danger 5, the mission is always kill Hitler. It's like he (laughs) knows that get Jim and the holograms to Zipper means try to kill them. He knows this at this point. How does he not? I mean, he just seems to want to keep them busy or something, but Zipper just tries to kill them. Why does he keep hiring Zipper? Why do people keep hiring Eric Raymond? Nobody here has good hiring decisions. So, like, the next day, they uh, the holograms come out of the ranch, and they are shocked to find that Miss Sally is dressed like a normal person. What they seem to think Texans are is that they are constantly dressed like the outfit Marty McFly wears when he goes back to the West and Back to the Future Part 3. <laughs> that, like pastel cowboy outfit. Sally is going to go into Houston, but she warns them that it is flash flood season. And then I just have a note in here that just says Rio time. (laughs) (laughs) Rio and Jerrica talk a little. She's like, isn't it a beautiful day? And Rio immediately is like, I suppose. Where's Jim? (laughs) And then as soon as he finds out that Jim is not there, he just flat out ditches her to go to the Astrodome. Anyway, Kimber's sitting at, at, at some picnic table, and a bird flies down and lands next to her, and she reacts like she's never seen a bird before in her life, and she doesn't know what it is. She's like, oh, hello, and starts feeding it. You can feel the awkward come on just coming. You brace yourself for it. Can you chum the birds from the air, then? So there's some flirting between Kimber and Sean. And aside from that really awkward line, it's it's actually, like, kind of cute. They go on a horse ride, and then everybody oh. goes down to the lake. And while they're all lounging by a lake in their swimsuits, that's when some nameless schlub who's also there gets a call on their, like, long-distance cell phone. You know, it's funny because the mobile phone is huge, but it also seems oddly small for a 1987 mobile phone. I feel like it should be bigger. It's in his backpack, so it almost feels like those, like, World War II radios. 1987 phones were still at that point where mobile phone meant that it sat in your car with a wire? Yeah, it wasn't until, like, the early 90s that we started getting, like, uh, like the Motorola car phone that was yes. actually sort of detachable. But for the sake of convenience, Sean gets a call from Houston that he actually stands up to take. He even, like, poses. He has his hand on his hip. And it turns out that he and CB, quote-unquote, have to go. Sean 
and the guy Ofsky, but not before extracting a promise from Kimber that they will see each other at the hayride tonight. And then as soon as they leave, Zipper kidnaps them. It's Zipper and like one other guy, and they're both dressed like villains from westerns. They're dressed yeah. like banditos. It's great. They literally just pop out of nowhere. Like, where were they hiding? Who knows? Did you see them like up. earlier on like a cliffside, watching them through binoculars, and that's it. And then we get into some hologram shenanigans that don't make sense. Yeah, Zipper marches them down a ravine. Then they're like, oh, I don't know. What should we do? Maybe we should call Synergy. And Synergy basically turns into Storm from the X-Men. Yes, an implausibly large, complicated Storm hologram. That that pops up, and then there's a flood in the ravine they're walking through, and they start screaming, and the flood somehow manages to knock Zipper and his compatriot over. Or, like, they just sort of keep running from it. It's not really clear what happens to them. They they can't feel any rain on them, surely, but there is hologram rain happening, and... And they're acting like they can feel it? There is there is a localized, there's the sound of water rushing towards them through the ravine because it's flash flood season. And uh, this is maybe one of the most impressive things I think Synergy does, especially in the first season. Yeah. And while it is impressive, I still wonder the mechanics of it. It's completely implausible. And uh, the holograms, I guess, just sort of walk back to the ranch because by evening they're there and they're ready for the biggest hayride on the planet. And you guys, that must be the itchiest thing. It's this enormous pile, like ten foot high pile of hay. And it's like that's not that's not practical to ride on. Why would how do they how are they not just basically sinking to the bottom of the cart? They're crawling through it like Scrooge through his three cubic acres money pit. I mean, they're not even bailed hay. It's just free hay. They have to be losing this throughout the entire hay ride. It's just <laughs> got to be sloughing off the sides. And somehow through all this hay, they notice that Sean is not with them in this hay ride. But it's like, how do you know? He could be at the bottom of the cart and you wouldn't know. <laughs> you wouldn't know. <laughs> he could be trapped there. Help him. Who we'll put this hay ride together? Pizazz is right to, like, trick Sean into going into the city with her. He could be dead. <laughs> at the bottom of a haystack. Pizazz tricks Sean somehow into saying, Kimber wants you to go meet at the Sleazy Dive, which is, like, also an old-timey saloon in the middle of town. So they go into this, like, saloon dive, and surprise, the misfits are awesome, and Texans love them. And the misfits, it may be noted, are dressed in the best cowboy outfits. So, in order to appease the crowd of, like, punk cowboys, because only punks can like the Misfits music, the Misfits sing a song, and it is gimme, gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want it. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I need it. I'm pretty sure that Pizzazz has read Atlas Shrugged. (laughs) Well, this whole song is very Randian. It's just basically Pizzazz saying, stop giving away all your money to charity. Give your money to me instead. I'm the best. Gimme, gimme, gimme. There's this bit in the bridge where, like, she just sort of stops singing and starts talking, and she's like, the only thing I give for free is attitude. (laughs) I just have, like, oh my gosh written right next to it. This music video is also notable for having another one of those Roxy Stormer head smush shots that they're so fond of. Uh, There are pizzazz fun bucks that float by the screen. Uh, the cowboy punks that live, that, that live here, that are like, it's like they said, how can we combine cyberpunk with cowboy boots? 
and they found a way. And then Sean being bored as heck. Yeah, he's like visibly yawning throughout the video. As soon as it's over, he's just like, I want to go home. I want to go meet Kimber. Like, yeah, he says that explicitly. It's like, I want to go back and meet and be with Kimber. And it's like, God, rude. Anyway, then they find they're driving back to the ranch. They encounter the hay cart on the highway and they are driving right towards it and everyone's screaming. And that's your commercial break. <laughs> Everybody's about to die in a horrible wreck. Hey, he's going to get everywhere. It's going to all set on fire. It's going to create a bushfire because this is flash flood season. There is going to be a wildfire in Texas. This is going to be an ecological disaster. But then it's not. Yeah, we come back from the commercial and the misfits manage to swerve. Yeah, like it spooks the horses. Everybody's fine and emerging from this enormous itchy pile of hay. And the driver looks at the cart and goes, oh no, a busted axle, which if you've played Oregon Trail, you know how bad that is. Everyone's going to die of dysentery now. I don't even see them unhitching the horses from the wagon while they walk back to the ranch. I think they just ditch the horses. And like, as they're walking, they're like, did you see who was in that, that car, Kimber? And Kimber's like, yeah, I'm never talking to Sean Harrison again. And I swear to God, the holograms are really, really strict about anyone who associates with the misfits. Rio getting flirted at by one of the misfits is enough for mutiny. Rio, meanwhile, is trying to call Jerrica from a phone booth right outside the Astrodome. And it's like, you couldn't find a phone inside the Astrodome? And Zipper's, like, spying on Rio, but apparently only to use the phone after Rio's done with it. He calls Eric while Eric is in some kind of office and tells him, Zipper tells him that, like, it's cool, I didn't get to get the holograms now, but I'll get them tomorrow at the Houston Astrodome. Thinking about it, the office set that they're using there is the one Eric Raymond has in the Astrodome later. Did he just call Eric from outside his office? Or is this part of our Time Lord theory about Eric Raymond? And his office is a TARDIS. Now we have to have everybody in the Houston Astrodome <laughs> in even worse cowboy outfits. They keep yeah. topping how bad these cowboy outfits are. And, and as they arrive, we discover that Zipper has somehow gotten himself working in a ticket booth. <laughs> he hasn't even, like, changed the uniform. He's just sitting there in his leather jacket making his little, like, yeah, I'll take the money. <laughs> like his weird little like accent sneer thing. He's just dumping it into like what kind of a what kind of a bag is that? One of my favorite cheesy made-for-TV movies uh, has a guy get money in exactly a bag like that, and I just assume it's for bank robberies. I guess that's a yeah. classier version of burlap sack with dollar painted on it. Yeah. And they've also not only have they managed to infiltrate the ticket booth, but they've also managed to infiltrate the staff. On these little slow mobiles. Because a shady guy comes to take away the holograms to their quote-unquote dressing room. Although Kimber breaks off to uh, to go talk to Sean. Sean comes rolling up in another slow mobile. He's like waving dramatically to her while this thing goes along at like one mile an hour. And then he says the magic words that every girl wants to hear. Pizzazz lied. And Kimber forgives him like comically quickly. Immediately. Oh, Pizzazz tricked you? Okay, I love you again. <laughs> and then they drive off into the Astrodome sunset. Meanwhile, the other holograms get driven to their quote-unquote dressing room, which has like 
a star drawn on it in chalk, and it's not even like a well-drawn star. It looks like a five-year-old just scribbled a star on it. And they're like, oh, we get our own dressing room? This seems legit. <laughs> so, of course, they're immediately locked in a storage room. Again. again. But, I mean, at least again we see that they have learned from some of their previous escapades, at least temporarily, because instead of, like, creating lions and extra Eric Raymonds and fake walls, but real walls, <laughs> fake holograms, but also real holograms, <laughs> they just set up, like, dummies of them to hide the fact that they've escaped through the dust. Nice, quiet girls. I like nice, quiet girls. Ugh. Meanwhile, Rio is, like, mad at Jerrica for being busy? Because, like, you know, they haven't shown up as per the plot point in most episodes, which is the holograms have to show up by X amount of time. Otherwise, the misfits go on. So we're going to do one of those again. And then the holograms climbing through the ductwork uh, actually come across Eric Raymond's office, where it turns out that the doctor's bag full of money that Zipper collected contains about $250,000. In small bills, probably. I would say so, but also that's like a tiny amount of dollars for $250,000. Yeah. yeah, so Eric Raymond being hilariously evil is embezzling money from the world hunger shindig. And he just puts that in a little briefcase and sticks it in the uh, sticks it in the ducts. Because that's where you keep money. And then he leaves, and then Jem tries to get out through the vent that he just opened, and it's it's screwed on too tight. Why wouldn't they just get Aja to kick it down? Aja could do it. And then Zipper comes back into the room. We think for the money, I guess. It's never quite stated. Jem creates a hologram of a cobra sitting on top of the of the briefcase. <laughs> Quick aside, though. Why not a rattlesnake? You don't really get cobras in Texas. But it's a cobra, and Zipper is like has like no skepticism whatsoever. He's not like, what is this, Australia? No, he just runs. He runs away immediately. And the best part is the holograms escape out of this because the vent is open. And after they leave, Zipper comes back face full of grim determination with a baseball bat. <laughs> He's going to fight a snake with a baseball bat. I want to see this scene. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's the best part. According to Zipper, there was a snake on the money, and now the snake and the money is gone. <laughs> Does he think that Cobra stole the cash? <laughs> it's like, I need to get out of Texas. There's all these bankrupting Cobras around. And after this, this is the part of the show where all of my notes start turning into question marks. And the word, what, really big with an interrobang. <laughs> There's just, there's a lot of question marks here, guys. They, they run down a hallway, they get into a corner, and there's a little hatch on the side. And that hatch opens up into, uh, it looks like it's the floor, but I think it's actually a small panel in the wall. But then it turns out it's not the wall. They opened a door into a scrim? See, I just, I just detest any, any, any distortions of time and or space. With the fact that Eric has probably messed it up somehow. Yes, he is a very irresponsible Time Lord. He started the Time War, didn't he? He did! <laughs> See, now I'm imagining, like, the misfits, but they're Daleks. <laughs> we are the misfits! Our songs are better! <laughs> Synergy actually hacks into the PA system 
Synergy hacks into the light and soundboards. <laughs> she like moves the lights uh, up into where where that scrim is located, or that that set piece where that thing is hanging up uh, up above the stage. She can maneuver the lights up there. Announces that the holograms are here, and then they just sort of find some netted up balloons and ride the net all the way down to the stage and start singing immediately. And then we get what, what song is this called? Uh, uh, share is, a little bit of yourself. Right, which is a poor man's We Can Make a Difference. Yeah, it's basically the same song. Well, first off, we find out that Shannon can drive a combine harvester. And she can drive it up on a rainbow into the cosmos. <laughs> and we also kind of get a bit of a Misfits and Holograms mix here, because the Misfits do pop in with Give All You Got, All You Can Afford, Give, Give. They have a Yeah, they have a verse, and they're not credited for it, but it's also the best part of the song. Yes. <laughs> We've got, like, more more world vision images of Africa as basically the hyena wasteland from The Lion King. <laughs> it's the elephant graveyard. And, and then we have a Sergeant Pepper's cover homage of, of the hologram standing there with a whole bunch of, like, multicultural children with a little drum that says, Gemma Holograms. <laughs> I will say, to this song's credit, it at least perfectly mimics how awful all of the benefit songs were in the 80s. It's true to form, so at least there's that. It really is. It is. It is very on message with, oh, aren't these songs garbage? After the song's over, they pretty much just do the one song like they always do. This is how the holograms do a concert. Uh, it turns out that they are actually short of $8 million by 300000 that's when they bring up the fact that they found the briefcase full of $250,000, but it doesn't win the bets because that's not how math works. Then Miss Sally is like, I don't care. I'm doing it for all those poor starving kids. Now give me your... What's this called? His, his fee, his uh, promoting fee. That's right, his promoter's fee, which is $50,000, which means we have reached exactly $8 million. Miss Sally's like, I don't care about winning the bet. Now give me the exact amount of money that will allow me to win the bet. I, I also love the fact that usually in these sorts of like pledge drive things where it's all about seeing the, mo- seeing the number tick over, there's usually, you know, amounts of money that, that tick up after that, like even if it's just in like the tens or something. But this doesn't. It stops at $8 million. They didn't earn a penny over $8 million. The Misfits, though, it's interesting because they're actually delighted that they sort of lost, mostly because it means Eric Raymond got humiliated, and that is, like, (laughs) the most fun thing in the world for them. (laughs) And because their episode ran a little short, they decided to do, like, a verse and a half of We Can Make a Difference Again. And that's basically how they leave us. Remember this stupid song from the beginning of the episode? Here it is again. Solve World Hunger. Join us next time when we do Adventures in China, which is just as awkward as it sounds. Uh, Until then, though, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this has been the Gem Jam, where we burn the outrageous oil.